when I grow up, I want to be just like, just like them, just like them. But um, I, I do have a quick confessional. I, I, need to, I need to come clean about something. Uh, and maybe you can relate. In my marriage, in my marriage, I am the taker. I'm the taker in our marriage. My wife reminds me of this every night when I, I take the covers. I have a tendency to take the covers. Lights go out. I fall asleep. And through the night, it's in my subconscious. I don't even know I'm doing it. But I'll wake up in the morning, and there's a puddle of covers on my side of the bed. And my wife will just, you know, she'll give me that look every once in a while. It's like, really? Really, every single night, you got to take the covers? You got to take? Such a taker. In fact, you shouldn't even be a pastor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I shouldn't be a pastor. You need to go work at Red Lobster because you sell fish. <laughs> Babe, it didn't work. It didn't work. I can't, I can't do it. I try. I try. It just doesn't work. But she is right. She's right. I am selfish. I'm selfish to the core. And guess what? So are you. We are. We're all selfish. We all have stuff we hold on to. We all have stuff that, hey, we keep in the dark. We don't want anyone to know about it because then they're going to demand stuff of us, right? So we, we hold on to some things. What about time? Can you be selfish with your time? Sure. Yeah, we can be selfish with our time. What about food? How many of you, nobody touches your food. It's just a rule in your house. You, you know. How many of you would admit that? If anyone reaches for my food, they get a fork in the hand. Anybody? Okay. You know, but we can. We can be selfish with our food. We can be selfish with our finances too. How many of you, honestly, you don't carry money around with you because that way you can at least honestly say, I don't have any money on me when someone asks. You might be selfish if you do that. I've only done that a couple of times in my life. But here's a healing moment for all of us. This is where we all come to the starting line really at the same place. And that is that we really need Jesus, don't we? We really need Jesus because only Jesus can transform the human heart. Only Jesus can turn us inside out. Only Jesus can essentially make us generous, can make us like him. You know, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. So giving is what God does best. And those who say they are God followers, those who follow after him, also have to have a generosity in their lives. If I follow in Jesus' footsteps, my life should look a little bit like him. I should be generous. So here's a question that we should all wrestle with today. Am I generous? Am I generous? So today we're going to look at John chapter 12, a very popular story in which two hearts are represented, a heart of selfishness and a heart of generosity. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 6. If you're ready, say amen. amen. Here we go. Then six days, how many days? Before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. This is God's, God's word, friends. It's God's word. 
It never ceases to amaze me. Every time I read that story, I, I have a couple of questions rolling around in my head. One, why was Mary so extravagant? Why would she give such an extravagant gift? And why would Judas be so upset by it? Why would he be so upset with Mary's gift? So clearly in this passage of Scripture, two hearts represented, a heart of selfishness and a heart of generosity. And today from this passage of Scripture, I'd like to recommend three observations for us to make together. The first is we want to talk about the enemy of generosity. And then we want to talk about the extravagance of generosity. And finally, we're going to talk about the reward of generosity. Judas makes the exclamation early on in that passage of Scripture, why? Why, Mary? Why, Jesus, was this oil not sold? Could have been sold and we could have given the money to the poor. You know, selfishness tends to often try to take the focus off the selfish one and onto the extravagance of others, does it not? Selfishness likes to drive by nice houses and criticize other people's blessings. Judas obviously thinks that what Mary has done is a little bit ridiculous. What Mary has done is extravagant. Here's our culture's working definition of extravagance. The one who has more than you. The one who has more than you. For example, have you seen that neighborhood? Now that's, that's extravagant, right? Have you seen their car? Their, now their car is a little bit too much. Their car is extravagant. Their clothes are, help me out, extravagant. That trip to the, the, the islands there, that was extravagant. So it really does tend to be a matter of personal opinion, does it not? Where the dial is always moving and shifting and changing. So an interesting turn of events in this story where Jesus puts Judas in charge of the money box. How many of you wonder about that leadership decision? Because Jesus, two years previously, had, uh, had basically looked at his disciples and said, hey, yeah, I chose the 12 of you, and one of you I know is the devil. One of you I know is the devil. He knew that Judas was a thief. So why did he give Judas the money box? Some of you are like, because he, he wanted him to fail. No. No, I think it was quite the opposite. I think he was giving Judas an opportunity to pass. See, he wanted Judas to pass the test. He never wants us to fail. In fact, the scripture tells us that he has given us a way out of every temptation. But he desperately wanted him to pass the test. He wanted him to overcome his greatest opportunity for defeat and turn it into his greatest opportunity for victory in his life. And he does the same for you and he does the same for me. But he does test us, doesn't he? He tests us in our finances. How many of you know, well, let's put it like this. None of us would ever take money out of the money box. You know, the offering plates coming by, that would be really weird for us to reach in and just kind of, you know, just kind of take money out for ourselves. We wouldn't do that unless told to do so, right? That'd be kind of crazy. But how many of us would actually keep money in our accounts that belong to God? How many of us would keep money in our accounts that belong to God? I did. I did. I'll put myself right in that camp. I was in a former ministry assignment, and I'll, I'll never forget that I had my debit card stolen, and I had my tithe set up on reoccurring automated giving. But my debit card had been stolen, and so uh, when they tried to run it again for my tithe and offering one particular week, the finance department got back to me, and they said, look, your, your card, it was denied. 
I shot him back a quick response and said, I'm so sorry, I forgot to switch it out. My debit card was stolen. I'll jump in right away and get it fixed. And so I went into the account online and tried to fix it. At that moment, somebody walked into my office or I didn't have all the information I needed to complete the transaction and didn't have the three-digit security code or something like that. And so I failed to update it in the moment. And then one week gave way to two weeks, to three weeks, to a month, to a month and a half. And I began to look at my accounts and I just hailed myself as a brilliant banker because I had a, I had a lot of money left over. And so I'm like, man, I'm doing something right. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, what in reality was happening is that God had called me to steward my resources, the ones that he brought into my life, and I didn't care enough to, to manage the details. And as a result of me not being in the details of it, I realized that the, the tithe had not been coming out until my pastor called me into his office to have a, a loving conversation with me. How many of you are grateful for people that hold you accountable in your life? to live the higher level of living, right? So he calls me into his office, and it was a loving conversation. He said, Matt, help me understand. Uh, you know, up until about three months ago, I mean, man, your, your tithe was just coming out like clockwork, you know, a couple times a month, every, you know, like clockwork. And, and, but recently, over the past three months, I noticed I've dropped in giving. You know, what, what, uh, can you help me understand? Has there been a change in your situation? Is there something that we can be praying with you about? And I was ashamed and I was embarrassed, not because I had disappointed my pastor, but because I realized in that moment I had not treated the holy as holy. I had not treated the sacred as sacred, and I had done a poor job as stewarding his resources. A very poor job indeed. And so what ultimately had happened was that my carelessness had become a foundation in selfishness. My carelessness had its foundation in selfishness. And so when we see, we look at this story, immediately we, we see Judas as the antagonist. He's the bad guy, right? But if I'm really honest with the situation and if we're a little bit honest with ourselves, then when we look at Judas, we might be able to see just a little bit of ourselves in the story. Amen? I'll, just, I'll say for me, yes, amen, for me. <laughs> I do. So there's an enemy of generosity, and that is selfishness. And there's an extravagance of generosity. The second thing is there's an extravagance in generosity. So the reason why I use the word extravagance is in relationship to generosity is because our God is an extravagant God, isn't he? He's extremely generous. I mean, who would give their only son to make things right? so that we could be reunited with him. Who would do that? In fact, there's a lot of people in the Bible who are generous. King David, for example, we know that he, in today's economy, he gave over $21 billion of his own personal resources to see the temple built. That's generous. How about King Solomon when he became king? It was customary when the kings were crowned that they would sacrifice a bull in honor of the Lord. Well, King Solomon, when he came to the throne, he sacrificed 1,000 bulls. A thousand, that's a lot. It's a lot of sacrifice. But fast forward to the New Testament, we find the widow who had two mites, represented all that she had, and she put it in the offering, and she's surrounded by people who gave a lot more, maybe a hundred times what she gave, but they didn't make the story that day. What made the story was the widow who gave everything, gave everything that she had, because God wasn't rewarding in that moment, wasn't rewarding what? The amount. He was rewarding the heart behind 
the amount, the attitude of the heart. So, then we come to Mary in our story today. You know, Mary gives 300 denarii. So denarii is plural for denarius, and a denarius refers to one day's wage. So if we, you and me, we work an average of 300 days a year, what she gave was the equivalent of one year's wage. How many of you know, if you gave one year's wage to the Lord, that could be considered extravagant. That could be considered very generous. But how about if we were to take that offering and we were to pour it out on Jesus' feet? Would that still be considered generous? I wonder. I often wonder. Can we really offer God something that would impress him? Can we really give him an offering, my dollars, my pennies, my nickels, whatever, can I really give him something that would impress him? Because, I mean, he owns, this is our God here. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He paves the streets of heaven with gold. We, we know all this, but I wonder, can I give a gift to God that would absolutely impress the socks off of him? Revelation 21, we read all about New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem had 12 foundations, and every one of those foundations were made with costly stones. 1,380 miles long and high and wide, and, and there's diamonds and rubies lying around everywhere in that, and, and then you've got the gates. The gates are made of solid pearl, so I wonder, can I give him something that would really impress him? And then I come to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5 in Scripture, and Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers, and they had just finished really uh, supporting and giving generously to the church in Macedonia that needed to move forward, and so they gave generously out of their, their pockets. And Paul praises them, but first, not because of their gift. Of course, their gift was well-received, but he praises them for their act because what they really did is they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And that's an important thing for us to note today because the only thing that God is really interested in is you. God is interested in your heart. It's not the amount that presses, impresses him. It's not the dollar amount that impresses him. It is the knowledge that he has you. That he has your heart because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's never wanted anything more than just to be in relationship with you and with me. And it could be a sticky thing though, right, to be in relationship because most of us have a moment that we can point to in time where we bent our knee and we, we, or we laid ourselves out on the carpet and we said, Jesus Christ, will you come into my life? Will you change me and make me new? And we remember that moment, and when we moved away from that moment to a daily moment, right, where we're obeying the scripture that says daily we're to deny ourselves and we're to take up our cross and follow him. <laughs> that could be a little bit more difficult, can it not? It can. Dear Jesus, I throw down all my pride and my arrogance. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Help me to live this day for you. Give me wisdom for this day. Help me in this day. It can be a little bit of a challenge to give him our heart. And I struggle with this. I, I really do. I struggle with this and to give him everything. And I, th I think it traces back to about 12 years ago. Certainly, it could trace back all the way to Adam and Eve. But for me, in my situation, the root can be traced 12 years back when I was dealing with the death of my first marriage. I had anger in my heart to the Lord, a lot of anger, because I felt like I'd lost a dream. I felt like it was the death of my dream. 
And I was holding God responsible for it. I was like, God, well, how, could you, how could you let this happen to me? I have served you so many years. How could you let this happen to me? I, I am one of your servants. I loved you with all of my heart, and I, I laid myself before you, but how could you let this happen to me? I was mad at God. What entered into my heart during those days of grief was this bent toward self-reliance, this feeling, overall feeling that I can't trust you, God, because I don't know that you're good. I don't really trust that you're a good God. Maybe for you, it's not a divorce. Maybe for you, it's a chronic illness that you've been dealing with. Maybe for you, it's maybe abuse that you faced as a child and the wounds of those, that abuse just continues to haunt you even to today. And you wonder, is God good? Maybe you're a veteran. One of the veterans that stood here today, thank you so much for your service. But maybe you spent time overseas in battle and you saw things that, that bore into your heart, into your mind, and you wonder often, is God really there? Does God really hear our prayers, and is God good? See, for me, it was one of the darkest times of my life. But if I'm honest with myself, I have to admit my own responsibility to my situation, for me, personally. I had a responsibility to that moment, and there, there were several areas that I probably missed it as, as a human. I, I missed it big time. So bottom line is, I missed it, but God is still good. But I had to reconcile that, that moment. I had to come to understanding because the reality is if I'm not careful, this attitude can seep into the way that I give. I give just enough to check the box, but not really ever trusting God to lead me into deeper levels of generosity because it requires a vulnerability and a willingness to give myself. It requires a vulnerability that comes to Jesus with open hands and open arms and just says, Take me as I am, take everything that I am, and I'm going to give it all to you. But when we have a tendency to hold on with that idea and that mentality that says, God, you're not good, or God, I can't trust you, it will always keep you living beneath where God has called you to live. Generous. Generous. You know, Scripture, scripture makes it clear there's really three levels of giving. There's the tithe, and we've, we've, we've talked about that a little bit in the series. And then there's offerings, and then there's painful offerings <laughs> or extravagant offerings, right? And uh, the sad thing is that the majority of Christians will, will never even get to the first level of giving. In fact, 93 to 95% of Christians don't ever get to the tithe, not here. <laughs> we just celebrated. I, I'm so excited as a church family. As John got up here and shared with everybody, we've had over 260 families that have said, hey, well, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to walk in obedience. We are going to take God up in his word, and we're going to start to tithe. So not here. We're going to experience, we're going to experience the blessings of obedience, right? And that's the reality. The reality is that when you begin to tithe, when you begin to be obedient, it really does open up windows of heaven. And those that begin to, to get to that first level of giving will usually move on to the second and third levels of giving. Why? Because they've, they've, they're beginning to learn. They're beginning to learn the idea that, hey, if I'm faithful with giving the Lord what belongs to his, he's going to continue to rebuke the devourer on my sake, and he's going to make it possible for me to be even more generous, even more generous. So you might be extravagant in the way that you give, but are you extravagant in the way that you live? Because generosity has meaning for all things. 
We live open-handed. We, we serve our community. We serve our local church. And, and uh, you know, there's it, a great opportunity, really, that we have as a church family this next Saturday. If you're looking for a way for you to be generous with your lives and with your family, I want to encourage you to sign up to, to come and hang out with Love in Action. Love in Action, we've got a ton of teams that are going all over the city. And basically, what you're going to do is for four hours, you're going to love on people, and you're going to share the love of Jesus with them, right? Because generosity is not just giving money. Generosity is giving of your life. Have a generous life and a generous heart. So the enemy of generosity really is selfishness. The extravagance of generosity is you, the giving of yourself to the Lord, not dollars and pennies and nickels, those kind of things, but giving of yourself. And the final thing I want to talk about today is the reward of generosity. The reward of generosity. Mark 14 verse 9, Jesus, in talking about Mary, what she had done for him with the oil, she said, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial for her, as a memorial to her. How many of you know that Mary was rewarded? She didn't come to receive a reward, but she was rewarded. She just came to give a gift, and that was it. But it's important for us to know, why, why was Mary doing this? Why was why was Mary being so extravagant? Why was she so generous? And in fact, those of you who are familiar with the story, you know that two months prior to this moment that happened, Lazarus, her brother, was lying in a grave, wrapped in grave garments and about as dead as you can get. And, and, and Jesus, if he had been there just a little bit sooner, he could have stopped the whole thing. He could have healed him. But he was delayed, and as he comes, and he, as he comes, and he joins up with Mary, and they're outside the tomb, and we know that Jesus wept in that moment, and he was really there. He was there with Mary in her pain and in her sadness. But it was in that moment when he looks up to the tomb, and he commands the dead things to come back to life again. And then Mary watches as her brother comes out of that tomb. That which was dead has now come to life. So Mary had reason to be excited. How many of you know Mary was grateful? Mary was extremely grateful. How many of you, if God came into your life and, and raised one of your loved ones from the dead, you'd be a little bit grateful? Depending upon who, no. Hey, we would be grateful, wouldn't we? We would be so grateful, you know, that God did that for us. Grateful. Just a little bit like Mary, just a little bit like Mary, because a generous heart stems from a grateful heart, doesn't it? And here's the reality. I loved what happened here in the baptistry tanks today. What was being said is, is that we are being buried. <laughs> our sin and our transgressions are being buried with, with Christ, being buried with Christ and we're being raised to newness of life. That's what scriptures in Ephesians, they tell us, they teach us that all that stuff has been buried and we get like a reset in life. And so all of us who have come to faith in Christ, we have been raised from the dead. And so we, we can be generous. We should be generous. We should be extremely grateful for what Christ has done in our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. You know that word rewarder? It's only mentioned once in the New Testament. 
It's a five-syllable word, and every one of those syllables means to give what is due, to give what is due. But one of those syllables changes the whole meaning of the word, and the real meaning of the word in that context, because of that syllable, means to give more than what is due. It means to be extravagant. So in that context, it really means that God wants to give abundantly more, extravagantly more. He is not rewarding the amount. He is rewarding the attitude of your heart. It's kind of like if somebody found my wallet, right? Somebody found my wallet. I had 50 bucks in it. And and they returned it to me. I'd be grateful to them. But it would be like me sitting down and writing out a check for $5,000 and saying, thank you so much for returning my wallet. You'd be like, confused. There was only $50 in it. Why would you give me so much? In that moment, I'm not rewarding. I'm not rewarding the amount that was in the wallet. I'm rewarding the attitude of your heart. I'm rewarding your honesty. Hebrews tells us that God is a rewarder. It is his nature. He does not lie. He tells the truth. That's who he is. But before I finish this point, it's important for us to clarify there is a difference between blessing and reward. Many of us associate God's blessing as as tangible items, right? We associate God's blessing as the favor in our finances or the favor with all the stuff that we want, the tangible things. And, And sometimes that blessing can take that form. But what God is talking about as being a rewarder is is not really so much about those things. It's not about those things, but it's about what we see in Genesis chapter 12, where God reminds us that he is ultimately our reward. He is our reward. So all the stuff is great. All the stuff is great, but it's temporary. It's going to burn. But what God is trying to get across to us today is that the greatest reward of generosity is that in the giving and in the going and in the living and in the serving, what's really happening is we're opening up our lives to the Lord and we're saying, yes, Lord, draw me into relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And so he's always drawing us. He's always testing and challenging us to go deeper in our walks with him. So, the enemy of generosity is selfishness. The extravagance of generosity is you, giving yourself. And then the reward of generosity is him. It's God the Father, right? Um, It was a couple months ago when something entered into my heart. The Lord asked me to give up something of value uh, so that I could give to missions. I wanted to give an offering to missions. The Lord asked me to give something to missions. And so um, I felt like he was asking me to give him my bike. Uh, I had purchased some time ago a racing bike, a felt racing bike. I loved to ride. It was just a lot of fun. And uh, at some point, you know, marriage and kids and all of it came into the mix. And I, I had to to, to probably pause a little bit on the writing because, you know, a baby changes everything. Come on, somebody. I used to spend, um, I used to spend, you know, I'd come home from work and I would get on the bike and I'd ride 20 miles and 15, 20 miles a day to stay conditioned. And then on the weekend, I would get up early and I'd ride uh, for four or five hours. I'd ride about 60, 60, 70 miles, training always for these 100-mile century rides, right? I loved to, to ride those rides, but they would challenge you. And so you had to train. They call it time in the saddle. You need to have time in the saddle to see how your body is going to respond to the pressure, right? Because you're going to need to eat while you're on the bike, and, and your body responds to different foods differently, and all that kind of stuff. So all that to say, I developed quite a relationship with that bike. 
over time, you see. And so I, um, I did. I, I, I said, okay, Lord. And so I, I put the bike on Facebook Marketplace and it sold within 24 hours. And so I, I'm on my way to, to drop off the bike to this gentleman. He wanted to give it for a test spin and stuff. And so he, he, he took it around the, the spin for the block or whatever. And he, he came back and he said, man, this thing is awesome. It's fast. I like it. I said, yeah, I know what you mean. And um, he said, here, here's the money. He was real quick with it. And I realized in a moment, I, I didn't charge enough. And uh, I seriously, I didn't charge enough. And I'm driving away from that moment. And I was very surprised. I was surprised at the level of emotion I had. The emotion that was tied to me giving that thing away. I really was. There was a lump in my throat, guys. And I had tears in my eyes. And I called my wife. I said, baby, I, I don't know that I've written this thing in a while. I don't know why I'm so emotional about this. She said, it's because you're selfish. You're telling you you're a taker, Matt. <laughs> taker. surprised me um, but I was, I was grateful that I'd walked in obedience and I had the ability to, to give what well, in that moment for me was a painful offering and then uh, that later on that week we had an opportunity to give to something else another uh, friend, of, friend of Christie's was up in Dallas and she was without a vehicle, she has children she had to get from point A, point a to point B and a bunch of people were taking up a collection we said yeah we'll give so we gave to that, and it just both of those things represented for us a little bit of a stretch in our finances, and and uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of a, a tough thing. But the week after we gave, the week after we walked that out, Christy received a surprise job, and just you know, hey, would you make a video for us, you know, to celebrate one of our employees who's retiring? She said sure, so she popped the video out real quick and got it to her. And a week later, we received a check in the mail, and. We, you know, I opened it up and I, I, I said, baby, this, this check is, is this the amount you had agreed on with her? She looked at the check and her eyes got real big. She said, no, no, that's not the amount that we agreed on. And so she calls the, the lady up and she says, you paid me too much. She says, I know. <laughs> she says, I know, but the Lord asked me and I felt an impression on the Lord to be generous with you. And so I gave you a little bit more than you asked for. And you might not be surprised to know that the total on that check was the total that I'd given both to missions and that we had given toward the effort for that car, the total amount. And when I, when I drew the straight line from the amount of the check to the amount of our obedience, I immediately saw the, the hand of God, but I had to take the time to see that, that God was blessing my obedience. And I, and I got excited, and, and I couldn't wait to do it again. I couldn't wait to, well... You know what I mean, Lord. I can wait maybe a little bit. God is not always asking you to give everything. He may, in some cases, like he did with the rich young ruler, right? But when God does give you an opportunity to give extravagantly, it's a great position to be in. It really is. Amen? Amen. Father, right now, I just pray your blessing on this church family. Lord, you're teaching us, you're training us to, to move in areas of generosity and just faithfulness and obedience. And some of these times, it can be really hard for us to receive. But I just pray that there'll be just a presence of God in this place, peace of God over your people. And then you just minister to them right where they're at, Lord God, wherever they are at right now, Lord God, that they would know that you are good 
and that you know that you're a good father. You are a great reward, and we love you, and we celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just by way of walking this out in a practical fashion this next week, we learned that generosity really stems from a heart of gratitude. So as we're approaching Thanksgiving, it'd be appropriate for you, just get a journal and start to journal all the ways that God has been faithful to you and even journal your disappointments. You might be surprised three months, four months from now that it did, that disappointment was really God working something on your behalf. Sometimes you can't see it, right? But it will really